Good morning, and once again, welcome to Victory Hill Church. We are so glad that you are here today, and if this is your very first time, thank you for being here. My name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here, and it is such an honor and a privilege to have you as our guest today, uh, but we trust that more than guests that you'll eventually become a part of our family. I do want to take a moment and welcome all of those who are joining us online this morning, watching from their homes, maybe in their cars traveling. Uh, thank you for being a part of our, making us a part of your Sunday morning routine. Everybody in the building here, can you let all those that are online know that we love them and appreciate them and are so glad that they are tuning in. Amen. We are in a week three of our series on Daniel, and we are looking at this book, and we're looking at this individual who really does teach us how to have faithful living in fragile times. And the big picture of Daniel, we said from week one, is this, is that Daniel really does teach us how to stand firm and love well while influencing our culture instead of allowing our culture to influence us. I mean, it's really the major theme of the book of Daniel. How do we stand firm and how do we love well? And we said in week one that honestly, most of the time as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, it seems like we live on two extremes here. That some of us live all the way to one side and we're all truth. And we're like, you know what, I'm just truth, 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 truth. I've got my convictions, and, and, and we're just kind of overboard about it. And there's nothing wrong with being about truth. Um, but the problem is, is that in, the mind, in, in this ideal of just living in truth, we've actually become kind of jerks about it. I mean, we're like, everybody's going to hell, and you're going to hell, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. And, and we've kind of got a little bit like that we are pushing people away. And then there's this other extreme that happens too often, and it's all grace, and we're just like, hey, we just want it to be a love fest, and, and you know, and some of what Jesus wrote in the Bible, we don't really want to apply it today because that may offend some people, and, and we just want everybody to feel good, and we want everybody just to feel the love, and it seems like we're living on these two extremes. And yet, the honest truth is, is I believe that God has called us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, God has called us as a body of believers, as the local church, to really kind of live in the tension of the middle, that we are both, that we stand firm and we love well. That we are full of grace, that we are full of this love, but we're also full of truth at the same time. And Daniel, I think, is the book in the Bible that really shows us how do we do this well? How do we stand firm and love well while influencing culture? Because I believe that God has put us as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, and he's put us as the local church to be an influence on culture and to set the culture and not to allow culture to set us. I really believe that. I believe that he's called us to be the thermostats and not the thermometers, that we're not just adjusting to everything that's going on around us, and that we were placed in this world to help set the tone for our society and for our world. And our world needs a tone set for it right now. And so God's called us to stand firm and to love well. But when it comes to standing firm and loving well, I think there is a root that runs through this inside of society and in our world that wants to rob us of doing that very thing. And this root that's running through society is producing a fruit that can be destructive and hurtful, and it can lead us down a path with extreme consequences. Here's what we know is true. That if you don't like the fruit that's being produced inside of your life, then you can't just try to change the fruit. You actually have to get to the root of the matter, right? I mean, we know this to be true. If you physically don't like um, things that are going on in your life, if your health isn't well, if, if there's things that, are, that need to be changed physically inside of your life, you can't just go to the store and say, I don't like the fruit that's being produced, so I'm just going to go buy some more clothes to put over the fruit and think the fruit's going to change. 
you have to get back to the root of it, don't you? Like you have to all of a sudden make some decisions and choices. Hey, I'm going to adjust my diet. I'm going to adjust my lifestyle. Because at the root, if I fix the root, then guess what? The fruit's going to begin to look differently. The same example could be applied to your finances. If you're looking at your finances and you're like, I just don't have enough money. Guess what? To change the fruit, the answer isn't just getting more money. If you want to change the fruit, you have to get back to the root and say, hey, how do I live more um, under the, how do I live under a budget? How do I spend wisely? How do I invest better inside of my life? And if you'll fix the root, then guess what? You're going to get a different fruit. You follow me? If we want to change the fruit of what's going on in our culture and what's going on in our world, we can't just try to dress up the fruit that we currently see. We actually have to get to the root of what's causing ungodliness, what's causing stress, and what's causing a lack of peace inside of our world. And here's the root of what's going on inside of culture in our world around us. It's this. Culture wants to pull you in, and it wants to cause you to elevate yourself and to lower God. This is the root of all ungodliness. This is the root of everything that's going on. The root is an elevation of self and a lowering of God. And I would even propose to you today that the root of every situation that you are facing in life is found in an elevation of self and a lowering of God. That you are elevating yourself and you are lowering God. You see, the Bible tells us this, that you can't serve, what, two masters. You're going to either love the one and hate the other. And we live in a culture that thinks that we can elevate self and elevate God at the same time. But this is not what Scripture tells us. You can't be elevated in yourself and then lower God and God be elevated too. If you elevate self, God is going to be lowered. And I believe this is the root of probably most of the things that you're facing inside of your life. Like the challenges that you're facing in your marriage, you know where at the core of that is? If you want that to change, you know the root of that is? It's an elevation of self and a lowering of God. You may have gotten selfish. You're like, well, I just want things to be this way. I want my wife to do these things. I want to be the, the head of the household. I want to be the one that's in charge. I want to be the one making all the decisions. And what are you doing? You're elevating yourself. And you're most likely in those moments lowering the principles of God for marriage inside of your life. And it's the root of everything that you're facing inside of your marriage. The challenges you have on how you spend your resources. You know what the issue is? It's an elevation of self. In a lowering of God, you go to the store, you see those items, and you think to yourself, well, I just, I want this. this. This just feels good. It's impulse buying, right? Anybody ever face that? It's like, oh, this is going to make me feel good in the moment. And then you look at your bank account on Monday, and you're like, I don't have money to buy groceries. Man, what's going on inside of my finances? And the honest truth is, is you elevated self and you lowered God, you lowered God's principles for how to handle your finances inside of your life. It's the root of the problem that you're facing. The challenges you're having in, an unhealth, in unhealthy friendships. The unhealth, unhealthy friendships that you've developed inside of your life, guess what it is? Elevation of self, lowering of God. You've either started hanging out with the wrong type of people that aren't going to build you up and it's going to be a positive influence in your life, or you've gotten so selfish in those friendships and those relationships that nobody wants to be around you anymore. And the relationships are unhealthy. It's an elevation of self, a lowering of God. The inability to keep the job that you have and actually stay at the job Elevation of self, lowering of God. Elevation of self, I think I should have more. I think I should get paid more. I think I should have more authority. I think I should have gotten that management position. Me, 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 an elevation of self, a lowering of God. 
And this is a mentality that's running through our world. It's running through our culture. It is the root of everything that's going on. And this mentality has a name, and it's known as the Babylon, Babylon mentality. The Babylon mentality. And here's what I want to do today, is I want to expose this mentality to you today. I want us to see it in Scripture. I want us to see how it works inside of our world, inside of our culture, because left unchecked, it will lead you to a place of chaos and pain inside of your life. But I honestly believe that if we can see how the enemy operates, if we can see the strategy that the enemy has set out inside of our world and inside of our culture, then he can't have as much leverage to actually pull us into it because culture wants to pull you into this, that you will elevate self and lower God. It's known as pride. And so I want us to see how the enemy operates. And then I want to give you three things today that will help us to combat this mentality. Three things to break this cycle inside of our lives. This mentality is seen at the very beginning of the Bible. We see it in the book of Genesis when the serpent comes into the garden and he talks to Eve. Remember this? And Eve says, what does God say about that tree in the middle? And he said, we shouldn't eat of it. And the Satan says, oh, the only reason you shouldn't eat of it is because if you eat of it, you're going to become what? Like God? What was it? Elevation of self? I want to be with God, lowering of self. Elevation and a lowering of self. We see in the book of Genesis a little bit later, in Genesis chapter 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel. If you've grown up in church, maybe you remember this story. The people of the world came together to build a tower as high as the heavens. And here's what it says about that in Genesis 11 verse 4. It says, then they said, come let us. Elevation of self. Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You know what the name Babel means? The, the definition, the translation of what this became known as, the name of Babel, what Babylon is named after, it's this, it's the definition of it is confusion. Other words that would describe it, it's turmoil. It's chaos. It's insanity. That's what Babel means. It's when these people came together, they had a mindset that we're going to elevate self and lower God. Now let me ask you something. Don't these words describe our culture right now? I mean, how many of you have turned on the TV? I mean, I do this, you know, I try not to actually watch news that much. But I see stories, and you know, the very first thing out of my mouth most of the time is like, that's insane. Like, what's happening in our world? Like, this is just chaos. I mean, like, why are people doing these things? It's, it's turmoil. That's insanity. And that's the world in which we live in right now. And there is a root to all of those things. And the root of it is the elevation of self and the lowering of God. And you need to understand that this is the enemy's tactic. This is the enemy's plan. The enemy is waging all of his bets. He's pushing all of the chips in that you and I are going to be so concerned about our self-interest that he can cause us to elevate self and to lower God inside of our lives. And if we do that, it's going to produce a fruit inside of us that we don't want in our lives. And so it begins in the book of Genesis. We also see it in the book of Revelations. It's in Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, and then it's in the book of Revelation. Look what it says here in Revelations 17, verse 5. It says, the name written on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and the abominations 
of the earth. The abominations of the earth are tied back to this mentality of Babylon. The Babylon mentality is the abominations of the earth. And so what we see in the Bible is Jesus and God dealing with it in the book of Genesis, and we see him dealing with it at the very end of time. He says, I'm going to deal with this in the book of Revelation. At the end times, I will deal with this mentality. But it is the root that is going throughout the whole entire Bible. It's the elevation of self, the lowering of God. And we see it again in the middle of the Bible. Look at it here in Isaiah. Now then, listen, you lover of pleasure, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of a child. I am, and there's no one besides me. If you know the Bible, if you know some Bible history, this is the exact way that God reveals himself to Moses. You remember this? I am who I am. I am. And all of a sudden it says, I am. I'm taking the place of God, and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss. He goes on and says this. Both of these will overtake you in a moment. On a single day, loss of children and widowhood, they will come upon you in full measure in spite of your many sorceries and all your potent spells. You have trusted in your wickedness. Look at the self-interest here. Your wickedness. And have said, no one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you. Our own wisdom and knowledge and decision-making mislead us when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. You get content. You think you're the source. You think you are the strength of your own life. And the Bible says in Isaiah, you better be careful. You said widowhood and that this could never happen to you. Be careful because it can happen inside of your life when there's an elevation of self and a lowering of God. It's these words, I am and there is none besides me. This is Babylon's motto. This is their motto. This is the mindset. There is, I am and there is none beside me. Because Babylon, the mentality of Babylon wants you to elevate self and lower God. It wants you to elevate self in these ways. It wants you to all of a sudden elevate yourself by being self-adoring. Self-adoring. I mean, this kind of describes our world and our culture right now, doesn't it? I mean, think about it in social media terms. We are a selfie generation, right? Let me take a picture of myself. Let me post it online. Let me see how good I look. Let me see what kind of story I can tell about myself. And then if I don't get the comments or the likes that I want, I'm going to take it down because I want this picture to be self-adoring. I mean, people made money off of this. How many of you remember? Don't raise your hands if you have one, okay, because I'm kind of talking about you. How many of you remember the selfie stick? And you'd go to places and the people have them in their back pocket. They're like, hold on, hold on. Let me pull out my selfie stick. Let me get a picture of myself. We take pictures in bathroom mirrors because it's an elevate, I look good, let me post it, and don't go home and just scrub all of your social media today, okay? But what is this? This is a motto, this is a mindset, this is a mentality that, that's running through. There's a, there's a root, and it wants you to be self-adoring. It wants you to look at your life and say, hey, look at me, can I get enough comments, likes? The other thing it wants to do is it wants you to become self-building, self-building. Now, I am pro-America. I'm pro this country. I think we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. We do. But I will say this, that the motto of the American dream kind of goes against, the, it kind of plays into this elevation of self, right? What's the American dream? You can just, if you work harder, 
If you pull yourself up by the bootstraps, you can make something great for yourself. Now, I'm all for hard work. I think everybody should work hard. I think God honors the hard work that we put into things. But can I tell you something? The mentality that you can do it yourself is an elevation of self and a lowering of God. We need to understand that every good and perfect gift comes from above. That everything I have comes from him. It's an elevation of self. It's self-adoring. It's self-building. It's self-indulging. It's self-indulging. We live in a culture and a society that pretty much steps up to the plate and says, how does this make me feel? Right? Like, if this makes me feel good, then it has to be good. If it makes me feel good, I'm going to do it. Because doesn't God just want me to be happy in life? Self-indulging, the elevation of self. Can I tell you something? More than God wants you to be happy, God wants you to be holy first and foremost. He wants to transform something on the inside of you. And we're buying into the mindset that we can elevate self by becoming self-indulging. But the truth is, is the Babylon mentality wants you to believe that these things inside of your life, it wants you to elevate God, it wants you to elevate self and to lower God. So how does it want you to lower God? He wants you to do these things inside of your life. It wants you to believe that God doesn't love you. God doesn't love you. So we hear these types of things. If God loved me, he let me do whatever I wanted to do. If God loved me, he would be okay if I want to identify with whatever gender I want to identify with. If God loved me, he'd let me do whatever I wanted to do. And if you are a parent sitting here today, you know that is illogical. You know that that doesn't make sense. You know that as a parent, that if you love your kids, what motivates you as a parent is this, is that if you love your kids, you put boundaries around your kids because you see down the road further than, than they see, and you don't want anything bad to happen to them. But you know what's happened in our culture? We're sat back and said, well, if God loves you, he wouldn't put rules on you. If God loves you, he wouldn't have guardrails for your life. Well, that just doesn't make sense. Any good parent that loves your kids, if you love your kids, you know what you're going to do? You're going to put rules and boundaries around their life. Parenting tip for you today, okay? That's extra. You're going to love your kids? Put some boundaries in their life. They'll be better for it. So it wants to lower God. God doesn't love me. It wants to say things like this. God isn't for me. God isn't for me. It wants to twist our mindset to believe that God doesn't want what's best for your life. It wants to twist your mindset to make you believe that God doesn't have a hope, he doesn't have a future, he doesn't have a plan for your life because it's a lowering of God, it's an elevation of self. It wants you to believe this, that God wants too much from me, that God wants too much out of my life, that his way is just too hard. Can I tell you something? His way is hard. It's hard without his power active inside of your life. But through Christ, I can do all things. Through Christ, I can rearrange my life and live my life in a way that's going to honor God. Through Christ, I can stand firm and love well and have an impact on the culture that's taking place all around me. And so this mindset can creep in into any of our lives. This mindset can get into your hearts and into your spirits. This mindset can show up in your life if you're not careful, and it is the root of everything that we deal with, and it's the Babylon mentality. The Bible gives us this clear picture of this mentality, and it's found in the book of Daniel. The mentality that's, that's written after this place, we see it in Daniel chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If you want to follow along, it's going to be on the screen. We see this in Daniel chapter 4, and the central character is an individual by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. And what we know about King Nebuchadnezzar at this time, he is one of the most powerful men on the face of the earth. He has conquered such a vast area of this region. He has great authority and great power. 
And yet this mindset, he is the epitome of this mindset, the elevation of self. We see it starting in Daniel chapter 4. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, and I'm content and prosperous. I have everything I need. I don't need anything else in life. He is content and prosperous. He has elevated self, and he has great authority and great power. And we find in Daniel chapter 4 that he has a dream. And so he has this dream, and he doesn't know the interpretation of it, so he calls all the people inside of his kingdom that he thinks can interpret the dream, his, his sorcerers, his magicians, all of these people that he thought could give him the interpretation of the dream, and not one of them could interpret it. And so he summons the, the central character, the, the individual that the book of Daniel is named after, he summons Daniel... Because he knows that Daniel hears from God, and he knows that Daniel has a connection to the Most High. So he summons Daniel to give him the interpretation of his dream. And it's in this moment that I just wanted to point out, it shows us that in, the, in him summonsing this Hebrew boy, it shows us that Daniel, who stood firm and loved well, had influence with government officials. And it's just proof to the fact that if you don't compromise your convictions, you can have influence on the lives of others and in the culture in which we live. Because here's what's going to happen. If you'll stand firm and love well, there is going to come a tragedy. There's going to come a crisis to those that are around you. There's going to happen. There's going to be a crisis in your workplace. There's going to be a crisis in your home or in the extended family. And if you stand firm and you loved well, when a crisis hits, guess who they're going to come to? They're going to come to the person who can get a hold of God on their behalf. And this is what happens in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar calls on Daniel. and he says, hey, I need you to interpret the dream. Here's the gist of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. It, it, in this dream, there was this big tree. It was large and prosperous. I mean, it was full. It had fruit being bare. Uh, it had great fruit on the tree. It was providing shade to all those around them. There was this massive tree in this dream. And then the tree gets cut down. And all that's left is the stump and the roots. And so Nebuchadnezzar calls on Daniel and says, here's the dream. Can you give me the interpretation of the dream? And Daniel shows and exhibits great courage. Because he interprets the dream, even though the interpretation of the dream is not pleasant for King Nebuchadnezzar. And here's what he says in verse 22. He says, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. You've elevated yourself, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. And your dominion extends to distant parts of the earth. Let me jump to verse 24. This is the interpretation. So here he goes. He gives him the interpretation. Your majesty, and this is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with wild animals. Now remember, this is not a figurative interpretation. This is literally going to happen in Nebuchadnezzar's life. He is going to live with the wild animals. He goes on in verse 25. You will eat grass like the ox, and be drenched, rain from heaven, drenched with the dew of heaven. So rain is going to fall on you. You're going to have no place to live. Seven times will pass by. Seven years will pass by before you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all the kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. How would you like have to show up to your boss on Monday and say, hey, boss, I got some bad news for you. You no longer have this job. You no longer have a house to live in. You're going to eat food like a cow, and that's where you're going to be for the next seven years of your life, and everybody that you've known is going to go be away from you. This is the message Daniel has to deliver. He's like, you're going to lose everything, King Nebuchadnezzar. 
You think you're powerful and mighty. Everything is going to be taken from you. So he goes on. Then commanded them. That the command to leave the stump of the tree with its roots means that your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. Would you say heaven rules? When you acknowledge that heaven rules. See, I love how God works. You see what took place in this story? God is full of such grace that even when we're full of pride, even when we are elevating ourselves and we are puffed up in life, you know what God says? He says, I'm going to leave a stump. I'm going to leave a portion of this because there's always the option of restoration for our lives. That even when we're cut down, that there is the option that something can be grown back. And I just want to say to some of you today, maybe in your life you feel like your life has been cut down. But I want you to know there is still a stump. And that if you'll give your hearts back to God, if you'll return back to God, that something great can still grow out of that stump. Because we serve a God of restoration inside of our lives. Verse 34 through 37, he goes on. He says, at the end of that time, at the end of seven years... I, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is telling the story about himself. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes towards heaven, and my sanity was restored. He says, when I put God in his rightful place, then I got clarity. Then I got clarity. Then my sanity was restored. Some of you are lacking clarity and sanity inside of your life because God is not in the rightful place that he needs to be in your life. Just a thought. Verse 35. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. It goes on. All the people of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored... My honor and splendor will return to me for the glory of my kingdom. Let me just say this to you. God is not against your honor and your splendor. God is against you putting things before him. That's why the Bible says seek first the kingdom of God. He's against you seeking honor and splendor before you seek after God. He says my honor and splendor will return to me for the glory of my kingdom. And then he goes on in the last part of this. My advisors and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne, and I became even greater than before. Can I tell you something? God restores to a better state than where he left you. Even when things get cut down, he restores you to a better state. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. In those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. So how do we break this mentality? This is the Babylon mentality. How do we break this mentality so we don't live our lives full of, in a state of confusion or chaos, but we actually live our lives in peace? I want to give you three I will statements. I want to give you three statements this morning that I believe if you will ingrain them in your heart and incorporate them into your life every single day, that you can break this mentality, that you can break the mentality of elevating self and lowering God, and then you don't have to live in a state, in a place of confusion or chaos. Your sanity can be restored. You can see clearly, but you can live in a place of peace inside of your life. Let me give you these three statements. The first is this, I will exalt God. I will exalt God. Psalms 145 verse 1 says this, 
I will exalt you. My God, the King, I will praise your name forever and ever. I will exalt you. My God, not a king, but you are the king. Landon, my oldest son, is six years old now. And uh, it's amazing how their brains just start working and the things they start saying, okay? Um, you know, you got to kind of start watching them when they're six. They, they start getting smart on you. So we're sitting at home the other day, and he's very intrigued about who's the boss inside of the family, okay? So he's always asking, Dad, who's the boss? Part of it is because he wants to be the boss of his brother, and part of it's because he doesn't want to listen to one of his parents at certain times. I mean, if you've ever had kids, you understand what that is. So we're getting ready for school the other day, and, um, and we woke up, and he goes, Dad, who's the boss? And I said, I'm the boss. He says, no, you're not. Mom's the boss. And then he proceeded to tell me that I was mom's assistant. <laughs> there might be some truth to that, but he's a little mouthy for a six-year-old. So I looked at him and said, okay, bud, if mom's assistant, okay, mom can be the boss. I'm the king of the house. We got in the car. We started driving to school. He goes, dad, who's the king? I said, I'm the king. He said, dad, who's the real king? I said, I'm the king of the house. He goes, no, dad, who is the real king? And I said, but I'm the king. And he says, no, you're not. Jesus is the king. (laughs) Touche. Do we understand that he is the king and not a king? Do we have the experience of a little six-year-old that says, you know what, Dad, there can only be one king. And his name is Jesus Christ. And if we see him as the king, guess what we'll do? I will exalt his name. Can I tell you this? Exalting God is a choice you make, not a feeling you have. I think we've, we've kind of narrowed this down to if I feel like exalting God, then I will exalt God. No, it's a decision and choice that you make every single day of your life to wake up and say, God, I am going to exalt your name because you are the king. You are my king. Church, we've got to return to a place where there is daily exaltation of God as the king of our life. Let's just be honest that Saturdays throughout the nation there is more more exaltation that takes place than on Sundays that take place inside of church. We're fanatics for our sports teams. We celebrate them. We high-five each other. We know everything about them. We don't just celebrate them on Saturday. We're talking about people they've recruited. We're talking about new freshmen that are going to come in. We're talking about the coaches. And, And all week long, we're celebrating and exalting the teams that play on Saturday. We're exalting teams that don't even know our names. And we fail to exalt a God who gave his life for us. God, there there has to be a return to the exaltation of God, that you are my God, you are my king, you are the prince of peace, you are the everlasting God, you are the alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. And God, everything inside of my life, I will exalt you as the king of my life. Church, we have to get back to a place that we live every day of our life saying, God, you are good and you are the king of my life. I'm going to exalt you because if you'll begin to exalt the name of God, guess what will happen is you'll begin to see an elevation of God and a lowering of self. I am nothing compared to the God that I serve. Can you just give him a moment of exaltation in this place? Come on, church. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And when you begin to exalt God daily inside of your life, here's what will take place. Things that normally look insurmountable, 
things that look overwhelming to you will not begin to look that big when you get a picture of how big your God is, when you get a picture of how big the King of kings and the Lord of lords is. When you get a picture of how big God is, guess what happens in your life? Your stress begins to look small. When you get a picture of how big God is, your worries start to pass away. The worry just seems like it's that little, that little ankle biter dog that like kind of comes in and you're like, kick him off. You're like, get out of here. Because my God is so big. When, you're, when you get a big picture of your God, the fear that so often overtakes your heart doesn't look that insurmountable anymore because you're like, man, I've got a picture of a big, big God. When you get a picture of a big God, when you see injustice being done inside of our world, you have the strength to step up into those moments and say, wow, this doesn't seem that insurmountable because my God is so big inside of my life. If we want to fix the fruit, we got to get to the root. The root is an elevation of self, and the way that we're going to do, get God back to the place he needs to be is I will exalt my God. We have a core value here in our church that we want to be a church that's known for extravagant worship the exaltation of God, that we're going to make his name great, that we're going to worship his name. And can I tell you, church, that's something we've got to get serious about. Hey, we've got to walk into a place on Sunday mornings and not say, well, I kind of feel like worshiping God today. Go, no, no, I get to come to the house of the Lord. I get to worship with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I get to exalt his name, but then I get to wake up on Monday and I get to exalt him again and I get to make his name great. That'll fight that mentality inside of your life. The second thing is this is I will acknowledge God. I'll acknowledge God. Not only will I exalt God, I will acknowledge God. I love it the way it says it in 1 Corinthians. I love how it puts it. It's a living Bible. What are you puffed up about? What do you have inside of your life that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why act as though you are so great? And as though you have accomplished something on your own. Those are some tough questions, aren't they? But will you acknowledge God? What's the acknowledgement of God look like? It's the acknowledging the fact that every good and perfect gift comes from God above. Acknowledging the fact that you are not the source of anything that you have inside of your life. That God really is the source. That it's not because you're great or because you're wise or because you're brilliant. It's because of the grace and the mercy of God that you have anything inside of your life. That's the acknowledgement of God inside of our life. Everything I have comes from you and God, everything I have belongs to you. God, I will acknowledge you inside of my life. There's a routine we have as a family. And I'm going to be honest with you, it is not a perfect routine. But every evening we, we gather in our loft with our boys, me and Abby, and when we're both at home. If not, one of, one of us will always do this. But we, we do nighttime prayers. Hopefully you do that. Hopefully that's a rhythm inside of your family. It looks very chaotic most of the time. Half the time they're jumping on me and I'm like holding them down, you know. They're two boys. We wrestle beforehand and then we pray. Because dad's sore after wrestling with them, you know. But every night I, we, we've said these prayers, and it's something we've done since the, the boys are young. And honestly, there's a repetition to the prayer I pray over their life because there's some things that I want these boys to know. And I figure if I can get them to know it at a young age, guess what? They're going to carry it out inside of their life. So there's very three things that I incorporate every time I say a prayer. Sometimes it sounds the same. Sometimes it changes a little bit. One of the things I always want them to know is that their mom and their dad love them unconditionally, and so does Jesus inside of their life. No matter what they do, no matter where they go, we'll be that prodigal father, that prodigal mother. We'll stand there with our arms wide open because that's how God embraces us. No matter what they do in life, we're always going to be there for them. I want them to know that. 
I want them to know that if they give their hearts to God, God has an amazing plan in store for their life. And so I'll say things like, God, man, help take them on the most incredible adventure of their life as they surrender their heart to you. But the third thing that I want ingrained into their spirits, into their hearts, is every night we pray, we just start, I just start listing blessings inside of our lives. I thank God, and I say things like this, God, thank you for the food we have on our table. Thank you for the beds these boys get to sleep in. Thank you for the toy they got yesterday. God, thank you for our family. Thank you for the church that we have to go to. Thank you for the jobs that mom and dad have. And we, I'll say these, I say, God, because everything we have, everything that is good comes from you, the God of heaven, the God above us. God, everything we have is from you. Why? Because I want them to learn to acknowledge God inside of their life. Church, if you want to combat this mentality, then you need to acknowledge God in your life because this mentality is so, so subtle. And it will take you over in just an instant, in a moment. Let me even caution you. Let me take it even a step further. If you are in a leadership position, you better really guard yourself against this. So I'm going to be very transparent. I, I, I try to be very guarded against this. Because in a moment, you know how easy I can sit back? I'll, just, I'll, I'll give my example. How quickly I can stand back and go, God, look what you're doing. God, this is because I did this or because I did that. Or, or God, look at all these, look at this, what's happening. And look what's happening inside of a church. Or look at that ministry that's taking place. God, look at all the things. I'm not the source. And if you are in leadership, guess what? You'll be tempted to say, look at the wisdom. Look at that decision I made. Oh, that was the best decision ever. Look at what I did. Leadership in your family, leadership in your business, leadership in your workplace. Oh, look at all the great things I have done. You are not it. I will acknowledge God. I will exalt him, and I will acknowledge him. I will acknowledge the fact that this life is not my own. I was bought with a price. So I surrender it all to you, God. To live as Christ, to die as gain. So God, you have my whole, whole life. I tell people I like to win at things, and guess what? With Jesus, I always win. To live as Christ, to die as gain, I can't lose if I go with God. So I will acknowledge God. The third and final thing as we get ready to close, I will humble myself. I will humble myself. And the truth is, is when it comes to this, myself is a big word in that. I will humble myself. Because you can choose it for yourself, or life can choose it for you. You can choose it for yourself, or God will choose this for you. James 4.10 says it this way. Humble yourselves. Make a decision. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. He will lift you up. This isn't popular to think about, but it's powerful if applied. That when you humble yourselves before God, he will lift you up. He will produce the fruit that you actually want to see exposed inside of your life. Because when God builds you up, no man can take you down. When God builds you up, he puts you on a sure foundation that cannot be shaken. If you build yourself up, you will build your life on a foundation that can be rocked in just a moment's time. So I humble myself. I humble myself. You see, standing strong in this pride-inflated culture begins with humility. It begins with the recognition that, God, I'm going to exalt you. 
I'm going to acknowledge you, and I'm going to humble myself under your mighty hands. It begins with humility. And guess where humility begins? Humility begins face down. Humility begins in a posture of prayer. It begins in a, in a posture of a place that says, God, I am face down before you. I heard this quote, and I don't even know who said it, but I like it, so I'm going to share it with you. The person on their face before God has nowhere to fall. The person who humbles themselves before God, who comes to God in prayer and says, God, I am nothing without you. The person on their knees in prayer, guess what, has nowhere to fall. It's a position in a place of humility. And so it's these three things. I will exalt God. I will acknowledge God. And I will humble myself. It's these three things that keeps this Babylon mentality at bay. It's these three things that make sure that this doesn't become a root inside of your life. So let it be ingrained in your heart. Let it get to your mind. And let it be practiced every single day of your life. God, I will exalt you. I will acknowledge you. And I will humble myself before you. So in a moment here, the band's going to come. And guess what you're going to have an opportunity to do again today? To exalt him. To acknowledge him. And to humble yourself before him. Would you stand to your feet with me this morning? With every head bowed and every eye closed, let me ask you this question. Maybe you've gathered here today and you would say to me, Aaron, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I've never taken that step inside of my life to to really acknowledge him and to humble myself before him. Maybe you'd say to me, Aaron, I'm, I'm full of just pride and the elevation of self that I've lowered God inside of my life and my relationship with God isn't where it needs to be. And today I want to make a commitment to follow after him. You know what sin is? Sin is just saying to God, I'm going to do it my way. It's pride. I'm going to do it my way. But repentance is coming back to God and say, God, I'm going to surrender to your way. If you're here today and you'd say to me, Aaron, my heart's not right with God, the best decision you can make is to surrender your life to God. Not to join a church or to be a part of religion, but to surrender your heart to God. And whether you're here in this place or you're watching online today, God wants to be the ruler of your life. If you're here today and you say, Aaron, that's me. I need to make my heart right with God. Would you just raise your hand? I'm not going to embarrass you. But if you acknowledge God, he'll acknowledge you. I see those hands. I see those hands. I see those hands today. So if you would join with me, everybody say this together so that we support those that are making those commitments. If you're at home and you're sitting in your rooms today, just would you say these prayers with us? Would you just say these words? Say, dear Heavenly Father, I make you the Lord of my life. Forgive me of my selfish ways, of my pride, of my sin, and come into my heart and be the Lord over my life. In your name we pray, amen and amen. Would you give Jesus Christ an ovation of praise as people have stepped from darkness into light. And now church, would you just move your hearts in that direction for a moment? Would you fight and combat that root that runs through everything else inside of our life? And as we worship, would you exalt his name? Would you acknowledge him as God? Would you maybe humble yourself in some areas where you've been the king and the Lord over your life? Would you surrender that back to God today as we worship together?